Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode is supported by Crank Brothers, Nukeproof and Olins. Crank Brothers recently launched their first ever range of shoes, and having spent the last couple of months riding both the flat pedal and the clip version, I can confirm that they have really got these shoes bang on from the start. They're super comfortable straight out of the box and feel like they're really well made. The clip pedal shoe pairs perfectly with the Mallet DH pedals, and I've been blown away with how much easier they've made clipping in and out of the pedal. It's meant that I feel way more confident riding with clips. Now, I've ridden a lot of flat pedal shoes over the last few years, and I would say that the Crank Brothers shoes have got the best balance between ultimate grip while still being able to make micro adjustments to your foot position as you ride. I found that with really sticky soles that my old man knees can get kind of sore, and I'm fairly sure that's because they're not allowing my feet to move on the pedals at all. I haven't experienced that with the Crank Brothers shoes, but I also haven't had any issues with the feet slipping on the pedals, even in some pretty rough, fast terrain, which is really impressive. I've got the BOA closure versions of both shoes and I'll admit to being a bit sceptical initially, but I've been won over massively. They're so easy to get in and out of as you can totally back off the lace tension in a split second. And when you tighten them, you get the perfect distribution of the tension across your whole foot. It's a great addition to a pair of riding shoes for me. If you're in the market for some new shoes, then check them out at crankbrothers.com or at your local Crank Brothers stockist. I've also been riding the Nukeproof Horizon V2 wheels over the last few weeks, which is what the Chain Reaction Cycles EWS team are going to be rocking this year too. I'll be telling you how to win your own pair in just a minute. These wheels have got an impressive features list that includes ABEC high performance bearings with full contact labyrinth seals for longevity, 102 points of free hub engagement for ultra fast pickup, 30mm internal rim width to pair with all the modern gravity tyres out there and a magnesium silicon enriched alloy blend to tune the balance of stiffness and ductility which is then sleeved instead of welded for consistent strength. Also they're running regular J-Bend spokes so you won't struggle to find replacements if you ever need them. The wheels look great with simple understated graphics that aren't going to look out of place on any bike. The free hub makes a pleasant noise so you know it's doing its job but it isn't super loud. They also come fully taped and with a tubeless valve in place so it's literally zero faff to get set up straight out of the box. They roll really well and I haven't noticed any excess friction from the robust ceiling that they've used. If you're hard on kit then don't worry they're DH approved too so they're tough and durable. You can buy them separately, you've got a choice of axle, boost, non-boost, free hub, all that kind of stuff, and you can get a mixed wheel size pair too. They're all available from your local Nukeproof dealer. To be in with a chance of winning your own pair of Horizon V2 wheels worth £400, all you need to do is to head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash Nukeproof. That'll take you to a Nukeproof landing page where you can enter by joining their newsletter. There's no spam, just an email every now and again to keep you up to date with what Nukeproof and their race team is up to. Surely worth it just for the Sam Hill videos alone. You've got until the 1st of April to enter, so head over there now and get that done. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you want to get hold of the podcast as soon as a new episode drops, then make sure you're following the podcast on whatever platform you listen. There's probably a button there that says follow or subscribe, so please hit that now. It's free and it means you'll get every episode straight away. If you can't find the button, then you can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe where I've got links to all the major platforms to help you there. It would also be great if you can give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook where I'm at Downtime Podcast. It's the best place to keep up to date with what's going on and it's always great to chat with you in the comments there. Today's episode is also supported by Olins and we're going behind the scenes with their mountain bike racing team leader TJ Hansen. We get a bit of history on Olins and their background in motorsport. We chat about their entry into the mountain bike world and the work that they do with the specialised gravity team. We chat about the trend for faster rebound speeds and the challenge of making a product that's technically awesome and capable at the highest level, but still awesome for us regular riders too. We also get TJ's thoughts on the future of mountain bike suspension and of course, some setup tips from the man himself. So without further ado, here's TJ Hansen. TJ Hansen, welcome to the Downtime Podcast. How's things with you? Good. Thanks, first of all, Chris, for taking me along, or us along, I should say, Orleans. No problem. Yeah, you're always welcome. Yeah, start off with a bit of background then. Just tell us a little bit about Orleans and kind of how it got started, where it comes from, because there's a, there's a long history before mountain biking, right? It, there is a long history. I mean, Kent Orleans started Orleans Racing back in the mid-70s, and... Uh, focus on motocross in beginning and then it transferred into MotoGP and cars and all sorts of 
suspended vehicles, as you say, like uh, whatever needed suspension, Kent got involved with it. And here we are today, 40 plus years later, and now we are heavily involved with mountain bike. Yeah, it's awesome. How did you become involved, Olin? Because I think it was through the family, wasn't it? Oh, it was for sure. Um, actually, my dad was a factory motocross rider during the 70s, and he was probably one of the first one using Kent's products since pretty much from the same town, they were always around each other. And Kent was the guy that made things happen. And my old man was trying it out. So Elin's has always been around for as long as I remember. And uh, personally, I started first working extra after school when I was 10 years old in production because my old man after his career he became uh, working here as well as a production manager so and then he got back and forth i always had connections with the company in one way or another and then i started full time first of september 99 okay been doing it a while yeah it's been it's been a while been there done that got the t-shirt so to speak for sure yeah. And you, you raced a bit of motocross yourself, yeah? Yeah, that's where uh, it started out. And uh, I was doing the motocross Grand Prix after a while, uh, working for Lins. That was the main priority in the beginning. And then at that time, we had the off-road department, it was called. It was covering a lot of power sports. It's got snowmobile, ATVs, motocross, enduro, trial, you just name it. And uh, so after a couple of years there on the GP scene, uh, I started working with ATV in the US quite heavily. And, and yeah, after a while, it was time for mountain bike. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how Olin's came into the mountain biking world then, because it was, was it a link with Specialized? Yeah, we got approached by Specialized. I think it was around 2010, 2011. Um, I think it was they were going to stop producing their own suspension. They had all sorts of ideas still. Mike McAndrews over at the suspension department there, he had ideas. Yeah, we got approached uh, by him and um, together we started slowly, kind of a uh, not maybe so official, <laughs> but uh, it got bigger and bigger and the the outcome of the first joint venture we had together was the, actually the TTX 22 shock that is still current today. Yeah. Yeah. So it was those guys that kind of pulled you into that arena then. Yeah, for sure. And initially, like I mentioned earlier, it's like mountain bike got under the off-road umbrella and uh, it was the same department for a couple of years, but then mountain bike outgrew the off-road department so to speak and got its own department so yeah and th and that's where you sit now yeah what's your current role <sighs> i have a lot of different hats <laughs> <laughs> so but uh, right now i'm over at the product management department but also involved with a lot of testing and together with uh, torkel i'm also in charge of the mountain bike racing okay yeah quite a wide ranging a wide uh, range, set of job roles for sure i mean it, it is like that uh we getting bigger and bigger until we have people in every position you have to have a lot of different hats yeah yeah so how big is the the mountain bike side of things within odin's how many people are involved in it now what is are we are we around 15 people working full-time mountain bike okay plus yeah. our factory floor in Taiwan, which is another, I don't remember how many people we are, but we are, we're getting bigger and bigger for every year. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. You, you like you say your backgrounds in the motocross side of things. Is there a lot of technology transfer across from the, the motocross side to the mountain bike side? Is that kind of a, where a lot of your design language came from when you started in the mountain bike world? For sure. I mean, uh, the TTX 22 is basically just a shrunk down uh, motocross shock. We took a lot of the technology 
uh, Torkel Sintern and Leif Gustafsson that was inventing that shock. I mean, they have a long, long motocross history. And uh, the outcome was just, uh, yeah, the perfect result of a good collaboration between the two different categories, so to speak. Yeah. What sort of stuff gets changed between kind of motocross and mountain bike? You've got a lot less space, I guess, and you're also probably designing or trying to get to a much lower weight target. What sort of changes does that drive? I mean, it's... uh, I mean, the TTX 22 shock, if we take that as an example, it was, I mean, for sure, it needed to be shrunk down. Technology-wise, also, like the speeds are a little bit different, but it's kind of similar. Like, for instance, when I started mountain bike, I didn't know anything. So I just saw the downhill bike, for instance, as a small little motocross highway. You worked with it in sort of damping levels and balances and so on. So, and it uh, turned out pretty good. Okay, right. So there is a, there is a large amount of crosshair. I guess it's a very similar vehicle, really, isn't it? Yeah. Just less i mean we less of the weight is with the bike yeah for sure i mean we see a lot of crossovers between the two categories for sure that's probably motocross is the within all leans is probably the department that we have the closest relationship as far as collaboration is the motocross department still okay yeah yeah yeah. what about the other sides of the business because you guys work across kind of suspension in all sorts of different areas yeah yeah are there Um, there other areas within the business that technology comes from i mean yeah for sure i mean if you look on the what is the ttx technology twin tube technology that is used not only by us but also by competitors i mean we started it actually back in 93 i think it was with it was a car shock for IndyCar, like what Nigel Mansell won with in IndyCar. That's where mm-hmm. it started. And then it got into the MotoGP side, and then we got it to motocross. They had it in a rally car, uh, Formula One. It's all sorts of different disciplines that's been used, that kind of technology. So yeah. for sure, there's a broad crossover collaboration between the different departments here at the Lins. Yeah, and you're still seeing evolution being made in other departments that can potentially come into the mountain bike world. For sure. And vice versa, we have to say also. I mean, we yeah engineers over at the mountain bike department is coming also up with bright ideas that can be brought over to other categories. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, sure. that's really cool. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the specialized gravity team because I guess that's one of the main ways that people will know about the brand yeah um, is working with those guys and and you know obviously having so much success with with loic for example uh, how did they get involved like when did the the gravity team get part of the olin's family i mean through our deal with specialized there was talk for a couple of years before it actually happens uh i know brad benedict and mike mcandrews was pushing a lot for the Orleans brand in-house and part of it was to go racing together so 2016 straight after worlds in Hall, we had our very first test together uh, uh it was finn loik yeah that's right and then a third rider was up in the air. So we, it's a pretty funny story, actually. We, Me and my brother, we drove down to Italy and we had prepared for a month here in Sweden. We had shocks, forks for... Because at that time, we didn't know exactly which riders was going to be on the team. The only okay. riders was Loic and Finn uh, that was signed. And there was up in the air that Troy was going to maybe go there and Luca Shaw was maybe go there. But both of them fell through so it, and it didn't happen. We had shocks, Lace Ring Brave with Shaw and Brosnan on there prepped for the very first <laughs> test and so on. But um, but the cool story around that also is that actually that's when it happened with Miranda Miller. So uh-huh. she came on board instead and 
actually joined us for the very first test. We tested for three days with the, the three riders and uh, yeah, things turned out pretty good. And that was the team for the following year. Yeah. Oh, Miranda won the world champs. Yeah. Miranda won world well, champs and Loic won world champs and actually Melanie Chapaz won the junior world. So we was more almost cleaning the podium there the very first year. <laughs> The only one we didn't win was the probably the one that everybody was putting their money on that Finn was going to win the junior title and it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That was that year, wasn't it? I'd yeah. forgotten about that. So, yeah, not a bad start into the mountain bike world then, really. No, I, I mean, it was it was unreal. We won uh, Worlds the very first year. We won Worlds three years in a row. And the third year, 2019, Loic was also managed to win the overall World Cup. So a little bit of a Cinderella story there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's it been like working with those guys? Because, I mean, you're at the very cutting edge of the sport, I guess, but you're also under the spotlight. Yeah. I mean, it's always blowing the hardest at the top. So you have to be on your A game and uh, – that was a big part of the deal with the team also to be on our toes the whole time, listen to them. We're learning from them every year. I mean, it's a, it's a combination of specialized us and the team. Uh, Jack and uh, Loic is doing the majority of the testing on their own. We are joining a couple of times during off season, but we, I wouldn't say it's a day-to-day, -day, but it's like for sure a week-to-week -week contact with the team, follow up with what's going on, what is needed. We're also setting up like one, two, three-year plans together. Okay. So, and then it's like the picture is pretty clear in which directions or what we believe in is the right way of go. Yeah. And you must learn a huge amount from those guys at the very kind of top end but does does the work that you do with that team transfer over onto the the enduro and the sort of trail products that more regular riders might go and buy too for sure it does i mean we are the company that the heritage is probably what we win with on the sundays we're gonna sell on the mondays so for sure it will benefit the end users or the customers what we are doing with the race team on the race circuit so to speak mm -hmm. for sure yeah. are, are there some examples of that is it the there was it was the damper kind of come across the damper sizing came across from the downhill fork is that right yeah uh that's uh it started off with uh, the ttx 18 damping cartridge is a product straight from uh, racing scene that now the end users are having in their forks, uh, yeah. both on downhill forks and on the trail forks. And that's okay. also the, the cool thing about that is also that we are using like running changes in production. So if we come up with something new on racing, it's not that it's something that maybe we're spreading out enough, but we're doing it with, this will benefit the end the customers, we are having running changes in production and then we just implement it. Okay. Uh, so you don't have like a model year thing like most brands, I guess, where the new fork arrives in August or whatever and it's it's quite different. You you implement slight changes as they're yeah, available. Of course if it's like a bigger implement, then we'd maybe do like a new update more of a bang around it. Mm -hmm. But it can be small little things that Maybe not everybody noticed, but it's about those small little things that together will make a bigger change. Yeah, interesting. And talking about small little things, I can't, uh, I can't not ask what was going on with uh, with Loic bike this year. So he had a little carbon cover over part of the rear shock, and he was definitely fiddling about with something on his handlebars in in Loser. Are you able to? To tell us anything about what what he was up to that's a million dollar question isn't it <laughs> and even though as much i would like to tell you it has to continue to be the million dollar question it, uh -huh. all i can say if we were talking about what 
when will customers see it? I would say probably three to four years. Okay. What's going on under there? Yeah. So do you think we'll still see that little carbon cover on Lowe's bike in the 2021 season? Uh, most likely, yes. Yeah. So it's going to be a while before we're, we'll, we'll yeah. find out what's going on there. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So you're, you're working that far ahead of mass production then with with a lot of the downhill stuff or is it just does it vary depending on the technology that you're working on yeah and some things will never come to production either Mm -hmm. but it will still have to be kind of a secret because you never know what's going to happen down the road so it's have happened in the lean's history in the past that we have done things and nothing happened immediately but maybe 10 years later it came up, but you have to certain things. You have to put the lid on or the carbon box on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it creates a bit of mystery, anyway, doesn't yeah. it? It's always uh, it's always yeah. nice to have people wondering what's going on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, we like you were mentioned there. Another good example of what the racing scene is doing for the end users or the customers is a downhill fork we touched based a little bit on it on the ttx 18 mm-hmm. but if we're going back to the 2017 season uh, we had the rear shock for the team but we didn't really have the fork okay so we had to take a lowers from there because we didn't have the tooling for that at the time and we had stanchions here but then we made the damping system and the air spring uh, mm-hmm. suited for the downhill and was working the whole 2017 season. And then in Croatia, the year after for 2018 was when we were presented the downhill fork for the first time. And that was the outcome of a year of racing and R&D work. And for the following year, it, it was a ready product. Yeah, uh, that was a a specific case where the race team was like heavily involved and it helped us quite a bit with testing and riding as well. Yeah. And are you able to tell us anything about things that maybe are coming from racing that we'll see fairly soon, like stuff that you've been working on for a while? Is there, are there updates coming? I mean, we will see probably some updates on the shock in the very next future. Mm-hmm. There will be minor updates on the fork as well, fairly soon as well, but nothing crazy. It will be these maybe probably running changes that wouldn't yeah. be uh, super noticeable for the customers, but it's those small little things, like I said, is adding up to a big change. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, I mean, there's obviously a lot of talk. You watch Loex bike at a race and it does – genuinely always look like his suspension is working incredibly well and that's something that's shared between most people i've spoken to certainly do you do you feel like you're you have a significant advantage over other suspension brands when it at least when it comes to downhill racing do you feel like your your athletes have an advantage and like how significant do you think that is I mean, I, I want to believe that we have an advantage. Uh, that's what we are working very hard for to achieve. I mean, but it's also a combination of a lot of things. Uh, everything from specialized de- delivering the frame that is needed. We are delivering the suspension that is needed. Loic and Jack is doing a lot of testing together probably the ones that are testing the most, I would say, out of the whole mm-hmm. downhill scene uh, without knowing how much everyone else is testing. But I, and they do it in a, in a way that's working very good for them. They, they have the telemetry bike set up. They have, uh, they, they use, have used telemetry for a long time. Uh, they can go back, compare, they, they have a lot of information. Uh, that is handy. Uh, so, plus we are able to deliver what they are looking for. And uh, plus also at the bottom line, if the riders is, the rider is confident and happy and with the whole package, he's going to go fast. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I guess like there's some element of it is the technology and the product that you provide, but the, another big element of it is how you go away then and set that product up. And it feels like, like you say, Loic and Jack have maybe got that working better than quite a lot of other riders just through a level of experience and hard work to get there. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, they worked for, what is it, 10 years now or something together and they know each other inside out. I mean, sometimes Jack doesn't have to listen what Loic has to say. He can look at the telemetry and he can see that something is maybe not 100% and vice versa, of course. I mean, the bottom line is Loic's comments is the what's uh, prioritized, of course, always. But, I mean, the telemetry is just another tool to achieve to make him confident. Yeah. And is are the requests that you guys get back from them for changes in the product, are they, are they kind of changing over time? Are you seeing trends in the direction that they're taking the bike in? I mean, when we started working with them, we had the, uh, the prior demo to what's out right now. Uh, and they had a year under its belt uh, working with that. So we came in at a good time. They had the experience. It was fairly easy. Um, mm-hmm. the, the current bike uh, took some time to figure out. Uh, even though we were very successful from first race with a win in Maribor. Mm-hmm. But it was a lot of... Um, lot of sleepless hours behind that for sure specialized yeah. was working really hard to deliver what the what loic was looking for and we did the same thing mm-hmm. and pe- people talk about like over time riders running certainly rebound faster over time as bikes progress and things change is that is that a trend that you're seeing in the race side of things as well? Do you think rebound speeds are increasing? I mean, for as a general speaking, I would say probably the better of a rider you are, the less of a rebound you need. Mm-hmm. That, as in less rebound damping you damping, need. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. The less rebound damping you need for sure. And maybe yeah. you need to add on a little bit of compression or something. I mean, I'm not going to tell you what direction we have gone with Loic and the boys, but uh, similar in those lines, but we have done it for a long time. Yeah, that's fair enough. And obviously you learn a lot, like we said, from the high end, from the race side of things. What about from the production side of the business? Because the, you know, the vast majority of your forks aren't going to, to the specialized gravity team they're going out to the general public yeah do you learn a lot from the field and do you do you kind of get a lot back from just regular riders using your products that then helps update what you're doing i mean i would say it's way more harder to please the regular customers than it is to please Lloyd bruni <laughs> Lloyd bruni knows what he wants that's i wouldn't say it's always easy but it, at least you have a clear target but when you're setting up, let's say, our aftermarket setups and suspension, that's super hard. And it's a big uh-huh. compromise. And we have to listen or getting feedback from our, in our case, our distributors worldwide. We listen yeah. really carefully what they are, their feedback and uh, every little thing we try to uh, yeah, take to us. And when we are doing our in-house testing and our test rider is uh, well-educated in what trying to uh, sort of speak, testing for the rest of the world, which can be really, really difficult, really mm-hmm. difficult. Yeah, because I mean, everyone's we different, have, I guess. I remember when, on the motocross days, we tried one year that we were going to go like, oh, let's go a little bit more racing. So we went a little bit on the stiff side. Mm-hmm. Oh, we got so many complaints, so <laughs> many complaints. And we have seen that with our products in mountain bike. Also, we gone from when we first released our forks and shocks 
what we have done is gone down and down and down on damping, both compression okay. and rebound. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Making them a bit, bit less racy. Aftermarket is, it's a tough nut to crack, that's for sure. Yeah, and, yeah. And ha- do you feel like you've, you're getting closer to that? Is the feedback becoming more more rounded? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the more we learn, the the uh, the more, yeah, the better it gets for sure. Yeah. And I mean, there's obviously a huge amount of engineering know-how within Olin's, but how do you take that and make a product that's not just going to go well under Loic with all the data logging equipment and a race engineer there and, you know, the opportunity to, to switch forks out whenever they need, how do you make it robust and, and also make it usable by the majority of us who maybe don't even fully understand the difference between high and low speed damping circuits, for example. I mean, that was the target from beginning to take all the technology and knowledge we had bringing into the mountain bike and especially to our products was to make them as simple as possible. If we take our rear shock, the TTX 22, it's have less rebound clicks than competitors, same with low speed, high speed compression. And that was the target. And we were working hard to have usable clicks. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, with a good range. So, and every single click should do something. It's no point of having 25 clicks if it's only three, four, that's actually doing a difference. Uh-huh. So that's something that we are still working with to take all that high technology know-how into simplify things because we believe that will benefit the customers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had the chance to have a play with some, some Olin's kit recently and yeah, I have to say I found it pretty easy to set up to be fair. It's not, it's not baffling. Um, and also the website recommendations were, pretty close i've not not steered far away from that after a bit of riding and and playing about with stuff one of the things i really liked was the the external ramp rate control so you rather than having to get inside the fork and change spaces you've just got it's controlled by an air chamber right so you can you can easily and infinitely change that yeah and that was another target that we said that you should do instead of what competitors are doing with spacers or tokens, we should do be able to do it from the outside. So when engineers designed our air spring cartridge, uh, that was so the, once again, it should be as simple as possible. It has taken a few years to educate the market, but now it seems like people start to understand how it works. You have two, so to speak, compression chambers. Mm-hmm. And then you have a negative chamber in the cartridge that uh, equalizing itself. So you don't need to touch that. You can play with it with spacers, but then um, you have to take it apart. So yeah. if you have a pump with you out on the trails, a little pump, and you can actually do big changes on the trail if you want to fairly easy. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's infinitely adjustable as well, I guess. You don't have to, you're not limited to a, you know, four increments in spaces. You can no. go, you can change it by one PSI if you want. If you want to. Yeah. 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 I, I also read somewhere that your rebound adjuster can adapt to changes in temperature. So if the the unit's heating up or if the, the temperature on the day is changing significantly, it shouldn't make a massive uh, difference it, to uh, high response. Maybe a little bit misunderstood, but on the other hand, a, a mountain bike shock doesn't reach a lot of big temperatures. If you, uh-huh. If we compare with, let's say, motocross or rally car shocks, which get extremely hot, but due to our uh, adjustment shaft and the rebound flakes, it can compensate if you're going to hit some, if it's getting hot, it can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And you guys have made the decision not to have a separate adjustment on the product for high speed and low speed rebound. There's just a rebound adjuster which obviously makes things more straightforward what's the i guess what's the thinking behind that why would why would some brands go down the line of separating the two out and why have you chosen to to keep it 
more simple on that side? No, it's more of a direction that we uh, uh, have taken and we feel that it's enough with a low speed rebound adjuster. I mean, a low speed rebound adjuster also, also in most of the cases also affects the high speed rebound. Mm -hmm. So, and the clickers in combination with the uh, shim stacks that we are uh, dealing with, it's, uh, we've felt that we have found the best compromise there. So it's not really, uh, it's like one, once again, I mean, we, we're not just putting clickers on our product just because of it actually have to do something and it should be user friendly and also people to shouldn't be scared of using them or getting lost. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't need to be, uh, and I know it Bruni to be able to get a good setup on the product. It's designed to be straightforward and simple for most of us to be able to get, get to a good place pretty quickly. And I mean, if the amount of clickers is enough for Loic, it should be enough for (laughs) regular customers as well. But it also, on the other hand, they had to get used to it, to be honest. I mean, that was one of the f- first points on their wish list on, pro, uh, you know, improvements on the product was to have more clicks and this and that. And but that's, it was a big no. And they have got to use it and then they feel they can use all the clicks. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. So they want, they felt like they wanted they more wanted more they wanted to have like six clicks of high speed compression and uh, more rebound clicks and and all that but um so far it's been enough what they got and okay that's interesting so they they run the same they run the like, same uh, amount of clicks as you do yeah yeah so the the shimming and stuff internally might be different because they ride in a much more extreme way than I definitely do. Um, but yeah, you, they adjust, you, the way they adjust the shock and get set up is the yeah, same. It's the same. If you were yeah. using his internal shim stacks, you probably had to go to the dentist and put your teeth back in. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I have no desire to, yeah. <laughs> uh, to try and ride that bike down a hill. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty realistic about my, uh, yeah, my so, skills. So. <laughs> What, what about the servicing side of things on the fork and the shot? Because, you know, that's, again, it's something that can overwhelm people and, and all suspension needs some love to, to keep it running as well as it can do. How have you guys approached that? Once again, that it was a lot of thoughts around it. And uh, coming back to the air spring in the front, you can actually service your air spring without taking the show a fork off the bike you can actually do it just swipe uh, undo the air cartridge split it open and uh, change what needs to be changed and new oil new grease and it five minutes later you're back out on the trail um air spring service in the back is a little bit more complicated but you can do it yourself Uh, we have released youtube videos on a YouTube where you can uh, have a look and also there's workshop manuals on the links.com. So you can do a lot of things yourself. Uh, unfortunately, when it comes to the shock due to the technology, you have to go to service center to get help because you need special equipment to work on, on that, the damper units. Yeah. But that's common across all brands, I think, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But what, what, Sorry, go on. No, but for sure, like coming back to it, simplicity was a big factor for us. And uh, and sometimes that's just as hard as making something complicated. I mean, sometimes the simple, simpler it is, the harder it is to to make it happen. Yeah, yeah, even harder, I think, yeah. to simplify than it is to complicate. I was going to say what, what has been the, the most challenging part of, of making the product simple to use. There's a lot of engineer hours behind each and every component <laughs> for sure. Uh, but it's, it's a lot of things. It's like, I mean, history-wise here at Orleans, we haven't been scared of creating something new. It comes with a, also with a toolbox of brand new tools you needed to work on that certain product. 
that has been a challenge, you know, like so people doesn't have to buy special tools left and right. You can go with a cassette tool or a crank tool or uh, something like that or a Nipix tool or that has been a kind of a challenge. But I think the engineers have come a long way, I have to say, and I'm, pre- I'm really happy about that. Yeah, good stuff. You mentioned the like the service center side of things and that, am I right in saying that there's a, I think you guys call it an Olin setting bank. So if people buy an aftermarket shock or fork and they find that it's like for some reason maybe they're super aggressive or mega mega light that the the settings they can't quite get where they want to be then they can go and get that shock change to have a different set or a different kind of damping setup from that service bank yeah for sure and this is also something coming from other categories here uh, in in the house and something that we have worked with for a long time, and that is to have a setting bank ready for each and every product. So Mm -hmm. our service centers, they don't need to guess. I mean, there's a lot of shim cowboys out there throwing shims to left and right, but if you're in a lean service center, you, you don't have to guess. If a customer comes in and want to have something different due to exactly what you were saying is super aggressive, but it's fairly small, but he still feels that he need to go in certain direction or in dialogue with the service center. They come up with something. You should probably go here. They yeah. can just take our setting bank and just go in. They know from the spec card that comes with the shot each and every product. They can go and see, oh, he got this C30, R40. They, they know exactly in which direction they need to go. So it's a very handy tool. And so far, it's been a great tool also for our service center. It, I know it's a well appreciated. And the bottom line, it's a happy customers. It's what you want, for sure. Yeah. And you guys are best known, I guess, for coil suspension, that that yellow coil is a uh, is kind of iconic can you explain a little bit about the difference between spring and air and how someone might go about choosing the best one for them coil like you were saying is it's almost legendary now and that's in our backbone uh that's something we worked with since ken started the company so that's fairly easy the challenge for us was the air spring and uh, since we started in downhill, the natural steps was to go down into the enduro and all mountain and trail and so on. So we needed air spring. Uh, it was a challenge uh, for us and a lot of blood, sweat and tears uh, from everybody. Engineers was working overtime for sure. And, but the, the outcome was the TTX 22 air which we are really proud of and it's coming back to your question there is like some riders prefer the air i find it a little bit maybe more it's fairly easy i mean you don't need a range of springs you can pump it up you level between the chambers and you set your sag but to fine tune an air spring it's fairly complicated uh, but on the other hand, some riders like that poppiness that an air spring probably gives you. Um, it's it's always pros and cons of both, uh, coil versus air. But uh, I feel now that uh, we have two good products that uh, I'm happy about. So it's more like what riders' preferences if we're looking at OE, for instance, they probably it's more easy for them to choose an air spring uh, because otherwise they need a stock of springs as well, even though we see the trend is changing a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it's um, more like the writer's preferences. An yeah. air spring is probably a little bit hard to set up to fine-tune. Uh, you have to deal with spacers, uh, pressures and and then damping levels of course while a coil 
find your uh, correct sag with the rate and off you go yeah so the main difference between the two then is the coil has a a fixed rate curve i suppose yeah. then linear it, rate curve and the air the air spring curve is customizable to an extent by yeah. how much pressure's in the yeah. shock how many volume spaces you yeah. put in all that sort of stuff yeah it's because also in an air spring you have fric- uh, friction levels to look into uh, due to the sealing that an air spring is needed and also how you compress air uh, and there you need to adapt with damping levels. You mm-hmm. Normally I would say you're running less damping in an air spring shock than a coil shock. So due to the friction levels and uh, those things. Yeah. I haven't been using the air shock though. I, I would say the, um, the friction is pretty impressively low like you can you can make it move with a very slight press with one finger on the saddle yeah which is yeah you've obviously done some work there yeah uh there's a lot of like i mentioned the engineers have done a really good job really good job and that's by i mean we had a product prior to the current one and um say at least it was a lot of headache but um we learned we learn we learn a lot with it yeah yeah and and with the forks you can change between spring and air quite easily is that right yeah uh since we're not relying on the uh on the spring in the spring leg we're not relying on the stanchion tube like mm-hmm. a lot of our competitors is doing and therefore a customer can go between coil or an air or air to coil and uh, it's uh, it's actually a pretty cool feature that we're really yeah. proud of. So it's literally just a cassette tool to kind of get the cartridge out and then put the other one in. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. That'd be a, a fun back to back to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now it's well received on the market. Uh, also, you can find movies on YouTube how to do it. And uh, if you, yeah, this it's a cool thing for sure. Yeah, yeah. Coming back to the racing side of things briefly, you um, you initially I think had a like an exclusivity with Specialized, but there seems to be more teams running Olins this year. Certainly on the World Cup side of things, what's changed there? I mean, the deal with Specialized have changed a little bit, so it made a possibility to it has opened up a little bit, so we are able to work with our other customers. Uh, for right now, we will not take any more race teams in-house here at the factory in Sweden. What we have done instead is try to bump up our distributors a little bit uh, uh-huh. on the national level because uh, a lot of national level race teams are also doing downhill World Cups. So as an example now, we have uh, Commonsal has three race teams and we have connected a deal with one of them through our uh, distributor in Spain, MHS Andriani. So they are controlling the race team, but with support from us. Okay. That is something that we are doing uh, the same thing with for uh, Superbike or motocross or something like that. And it's, it's working really well. Yeah. So the top level of support is kind of still just for the, the specialized gravity guys, yeah. but then the, there are other teams now using the product with still some level of support yeah. right back to uh, you guys. Yeah. Uh, the gravity guys would probably be prioritized, but in saying that we're putting a lot of focus on helping our distributor with their racing efforts as well. So, yeah. And it's like yeah. everything from proposal setting wise, or uh, I mean, uh, yeah, can be a lot of things. We even attend to some of the tests uh, together with them and so on. So, because if if we can increase the know-how on natural levels, it will help them in helping their network of customers and, and so on. So we th- see it as a win-win thing by doing it that way, instead of bringing like 10 race teams here to the factory in Sweden, then it will like, I, now I, for right now, we couldn't be able to control that. 
So we have felt that we have the specialized gravity guys that we are prioritized here from Sweden, but mm-hmm. without any less support to the other teams, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And we, are we seeing more of your product fitted to OEM stuff as well? For sure. You will see more OEs. Uh, yeah. We will, we are continuing working with specialized for sure. Uh, but there have uh, come along new customers, Mondraker, Commonsal, Intense, uh, to name a few. And mm-hmm. so the future is looking quite bright. Yeah, definitely. It shows a good confidence in the brand, I guess. Yeah. 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 Cool. Re- yeah. Really happy about it. Yeah. What What does the, the future look like? And I guess not just for Olin's, but for mountain bike suspension in general, do you, are there particular things that you see coming? I definitely believe that electronic suspension will be something for the future. I can't really say if it's going to be four years or three years. We already seen some, uh, has released some products. Uh, I think that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Due to that, there will be other things tag along with it. Uh, I still believe that we will always have a telescopic front fork and and some sort of uh, rear shock, but it can be, might be some cool things in the future. I think it also can be that the some bikes manufacturer will go that the shock is maybe more integrated in the chassis. Okay. Especially maybe this on the spring side. Yeah. So no, it's it's interesting. Interesting and yeah. I mean it's a it's a trendy business. It's uh there's a lot of users, there's a lot of companies, there's a lot of inventors, but yeah, so we will see. Yeah. On the electronic side of things, how do you see that? manifesting do you do you think it will be more around kind of helping people get set up or do you think it will be around kind of automated changes in damping depending on terrain and that side of stuff like almost adaptive i think it's like the ultimate would be adaptive uh-huh. so people doesn't need to think like they just throw a leg over an e-bike, they fire it up and off they take and they, uh, off they go. And then uh, it just take care of itself. You can feel that it's going uphill or downhill or if it's just trail, single track. Uh, and then it will be probably what we see on in the cars, for instance, like you have all these where we are actually involved as well with the CES, uh, where we have active valves controlling in milliseconds so we feel what the wheels are doing to the ground mm-hmm. but i guess you still you'll still need to somehow communicate to the software how you like your bike to feel right even even in if it's doing everything itself the optimum for one rider over a certain piece of track is maybe not the optimum for another is that fair statement? can be it can be but it's like also maybe it's gonna be in steps uh, so different modes and so on, but I think with the technology moving forward so fast, I think we will see, of course, maybe you have to maybe set your initial sags and balance. And once you have done that, it can probably figure out what damper levels you need, uh, depending on where you're going. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Uh, we can't, have you on the podcast and not ask you uh for some sort of setup tips or tricks is there anything kind of any helpful advice you'd give people to get set up well on their bikes because i think it's for many many people it's still a bit of a mystery to get to that maybe not perfect setup but to get it close to perfect uh i really recommend people to take the time to actually read the manual I'm not a manual guy myself. I throw that in the trash can and I'm going to figure this out. Okay, that's eh, wrong. Take the time because I see it so often once we go testing in bike parks and so on, people hasn't 
started with a fundamental, which is the balance of the bike. And to go get the correct balance, you need the correct pressure to get your sags in the ballpark. Of course, it's always a personal preferences to that. But if you can get it within the 30% range, especially in the rear, front is more like riding style, uh, how you set the front up. Um, if you do that and start riding like that, have the clickers in a normal position and then uh, take it from there, spend the time, make a little note somewhere where you are on the clicks so you know where you came from. And especially, uh, I can only talk for our products, since every click is usable, uh, know where you came from, don't be scared, close two clicks, open four, go back to where you were, and then you will feel the difference. And soon you're going to find out, you're going to learn more about your bike and you're going to find a happy spot fairly quick. The ones you start to understand more of that, and then you're going to get a really good setup of your bike. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, it's probably fair to say that with a little bit of thought, a couple of hours out on a trail is enough to have a good go at that yeah. and get somewhere close because rather than, because I think people see it as a sacrifice almost like, well, why would I want to spend time playing about with this on one track on my own when I could be out riding and not, not worrying about it. Yeah. But one short ride when you first get the product to get somewhere close is, it's gotta be worth it. Right. Yeah. Because it's like, I see so many horror cases where people are like, oh, I need a revalve. They haven't even tried their bike. I mean, it's or suspension. Now I need a revalve. They leave it to some shim cowboy out there and they started in the wrong end, taking out damping, adding damping without learn the basics first. Make sure you have the right spring on there if you're using a coil. Make sure you have the right pressures in the back if you're using an air. Same with the front. I mean, you have endless of combinations that will take you far, far away. So, yeah, spring pressure yeah. or well, spring first. Spring first, get the correct balance, and then you can start with your clickers. And if the clickers is not enough, uh, go and see your service center and get help and communicate with them uh, what you're feeling, and they will for sure help you out. Good stuff. Nice one. Well, it's been uh, it's been really interesting chatting and finding out a bit more about the brand and what you guys have been up to. And yeah, it's been a real pleasure having a go on some of the kit over the last couple of weeks um, and getting the bike running super quick with it. So yeah, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. If people want to find out a little bit more about you guys, where's the best place for them to head? Yeah, we have our links.com where you find a lot of information. We have our YouTube channel. Also on aleans.com, we have something we call PSG, uh, where you can get help uh, with the uh, pressures for your weight and your bike model and spring proposals and so on. So performance setup guide is something I really recommend a lot of Aleans users or potentials Aleans users. Or if you're thinking about getting the product, go in there and check it out. Cool. Yeah, we'll stick some links to that stuff in the show notes so people can find that. It's definitely the first place I went. And uh, like I said, I haven't gone too far away from those initial settings. So uh, it's, it's definitely a real a real help. It's a great tool. Good stuff. All right, well, thanks a lot for your time. Look forward to seeing future products and seeing how the race teams go this year. Cool. Thank you very much for taking your time. And uh, yeah, have fun out there. Nice one. Cheers, DJ. Cheers. Bye. All right, that's it for this episode with TJ. I really hope you've enjoyed listening. Massive thanks to Olins for supporting this episode. You can find out more about their products by heading over to olins.com. Also, thanks to Nukeproof. If you're in the market for tough, well-designed alloy wheels, then definitely give the Nukeproof Horizon V2s a look. If you fancy the chance to win your own set, then you can enter the competition by joining the Nukeproof mailing list before the 1st of April over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash Nukeproof. And finally, thanks to Crank Brothers, who've really hit it out of the park with their first ever range of shoes. I highly recommend you check out their new range, especially the versions with the Boa Closure. 
I'm loving riding both the Mallet E clip shoes and the Stamp flat pedal shoes, where they've struck the perfect balance between grip and being able to make small movements of your foot on the pedal. You can check them out at your local Crankbrothers stockist or over at crankbrothers.com. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you want to represent the show, then you can grab yourself a t-shirt, a sweatshirt or hoodie by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop with all the proceeds going to help improve the show. You know what to do by now. Please keep on spreading the word about the podcast. Tell your riding mates and share the episodes on your social media. It makes a massive difference and it all helps me to keep this thing going. If you've got a couple of minutes, a review over on iTunes is also really helpful. All right, there's going to be another awesome episode coming up soon. But until then, get out and ride. <laughs>